You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are you ready? Are you ready for some scolding hot takes? Talking Vikings with Dane Misutani and Chase Frederick. This is Inside Purple and Gold. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. I'm Dane Misutani. That is not Chase Frederick on the other end. <laughs> That's actually our friend Tom Shire with over with Zone Coverage. He was kind enough to join us today. Jace is taking the day off. Tom, what's going on? Not too much. I uh, watched a football game that went very differently than I expected to based on the first like quarter and a half or whatever. Yeah, let's let's jump right into that football game. Uh, Vikings come out on top. Mm-hmm. I, like you said, I think everyone... <laughs> Probably expected this to go a little differently in the early stages, especially in the buildup. But at the end of the day, Vikings walk away with a 29-22 win. Yeah. Cousins once again marches them right down the field. Um, when, he, when it matters most, I guess, um, say what you want about how he looked throughout the actual game. Um, yeah. when, when push came to shove, he, he was there to kind of, you know, put the Vikings on his back and awesome 17-play drive down the field um, when it really mattered. Um, yeah. Let's get there. Kirk Cousins. Uh, yeah. This in the season, I think he's left a lot to be desired, but he's also come through when it's mattered most, back-to-back-to-back weeks with game-winning drives. What have you kind of made of Cousins' season to this point? Oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, I think I didn't really know what to expect going into this season. I knew O'Connell believed in him. I knew that um, – I think there's a lot of coaches that like a guy like Cousins who, who goes through his reads, who's methodical – there's almost some advantage maybe that he's not a wild card, like as much as you'd want a guy like Lamar Jackson or kind of these dual threat, um, hyper-athletic quarterbacks for a coach. I mean, that has to be intimidating, right? It's, sometimes you're like, you know, don't, if your first read isn't there, it doesn't mean you break out of the huddle and, and go run. Uh, you have to worry about injuries, about fumbles, about different factors there. And it seemed like O'Connell was the kind of coach who was like, I'm just going to use my illusion of complexity and the stuff I learned under McVay and with the Rams and kind of turned Cousins into this machine, right? This kind of quarterback machine. And I guess we've seen that at times. Um, I think there's times when he did play the quieted mind. I mean, think of how he started the game, right? 17 for 17, taking what was given. Kind of looked like Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia, which is kind of funny, right? But like he, you know, built that rhythm. And then there was just times he couldn't kind of get him out of the rut. And obviously he delivers at this the end of the game. But for a quarterback like him, who's supposed to be like unexciting, you'd like to see a level of consistency out of him that we just haven't seen yet. Sure. And I guess that that's probably what gets most of the people, right? Is that, yes, he's coming through when, when it really matters, but this game shouldn't have taken that long. Or this that shouldn't have become even part of the, the equation yeah. in, in any sort of sense. Because 
they were dominating. They were up 17 to three. They were really controlling the game. And, and really the only reason the bears got back into the game was because the offense sputtered. Yeah. I mean, I think the explosiveness of the offense wouldn't come from cousins, right? We, you know, Lamar Jackson can do that. Kyler Murray can do that. Um, there's special quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes, obviously the high, high levels that they are the driver of explosive play. He's it's almost like he's supposed to just orchestrate it, right? Mm-hmm. That he's figures out, I check down to Dalvin Cook, who's a unique athlete at this point. I throw deep to Smith or KJ Osborne when they're focused on Justin Jefferson, right? Um, or Thielen. And then, you know, he has done this at times where he's activated Justin Jefferson, right? And, he, and Justin Jefferson, in my mind, is the true driver of the offense. And, and um, it does seem like O'Connell's enabling him at times through Cousins, right? But, um, but yeah, it's... It, what I'd like to see is an end-to-end victory, especially against a bad team like Chicago, where they just blow them out. And there was enough of a margin, and they did enough in the game to do this. But this game should never have been exciting. You know? And it was, in part, because of the interception Cousins threw and just kind of the rut they got in, especially in the second half. Sure. What do you make of these game-winning drives that he consistently continues to orchestrate? He consistently continues to march them down the field. Do you think it's something that is – inherently good because when push mm-hmm. comes to shove, he's able to do this or inherently bad because they should not have been in the position to, to need this game winning drive. You look at Detroit, they should have dominated that. Yep. You look at New Orleans, they were up big. You look at the bears, they were up big and, and he's had to kind of come down to the wire each time. And I think he deserves credit for that. Um, but do you think that it's partially on him that, that he's needed to even rise to the occasion? Kind of where do you stand at that like contrast between be, giving him credit for getting there and, and, and doing the thing, but also kind of putting blame on him that maybe it took that long to get there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good trend, I guess, early in the season because it's different, right? I mean, I, I think um, the criticism was Kirk Cousins and some of this is still fair, but it doesn't show up in prime time. doesn't show up when it matters most. Isn't this kind of inherent winner, right? That we joked how he was 500 overseas, right? <laughs> Just like at times he was 500 in America over, over a pretty long career here. So, um, you know, every time that he wasn't delivering, people go, this is why Washington didn't want to pay him a whole bunch of money. This is why Zimmer was kind of upset that they gave him that kind of money. Um, this is why Spielman will get fired or whatever, because they guaranteed this big contract. And this will be like an immediate downfall of the, this new regime that seems to believe in Cousins, at least to some extent. Um, it's a positive that he can go out and win games. However, like the next step is, can he go out and enable this offense to dominate a bad team? And I think unless they take that step, step that you know they're tempting fate (laughs) eventually something will catch up to him and also then how do you match like josh allen and buffalo right so at some point if they don't take the next step cousins doesn't take the next step he's not going to have an opportunity to go on a game winning drive sure yeah no that's a good point because if you play like you like the vikings have played through the past three weeks all wins understand but if you play like that against Kansas City Chiefs, you get blown out of the water. The Buffalo Bills, you get blown out of the water. So I do think that is an important distinction to note with Kirk Cousins. Like, yes, has he been good in crunch time, in the clutch? Yes. But they need more out of him. I think he would agree that he needs more, too. He even said as much today in his postgame press conference that, like, you know, the next step for this offense is, is getting out big and putting a team away. Mm-hmm. Uh, till they do that. I am still a little skeptical about the Vikings. However, they are four and one in a terrible NFC North. <laughs> how do you kind of size up, uh, re- regardless of how 
good or not good Cousins has been to this mm-hmm. point, how he can kind of navigate them through a, a division that looks pretty lackluster right now. Yeah, no, I think um, at some point it's kind of taking away hope from other teams, right? So you can talk about like in the moment, the game they're playing, right? Mm-hmm. They came close to that with Chicago. They should have done it against New Orleans, given who New Orleans had on the field uh, in London. Probably should have did that against Detroit. I think Detroit's improved, but they should be a better team than Detroit. And then the other thing is is taking away hope from teams in the NFC who are like, we can't catch the Vikings. Um, and I feel like the NFC is relatively mediocre. Mm-hmm. And especially in the division, you want to get to a point. I don't know if you'll ever get to that with Green Bay, but you kind of want to plant a seed of doubt in their minds that didn't you guys go and lose to the giants right? Right. in London? Um, didn't we beat you earlier this season? Um, uh, are you the same team without Adams? Um, you know, how much of like the success was moving to a new coach and how much was it that the division wasn't very good and now we're pretty good and taking over the division. So this team hasn't yet like planted a seed of doubt in other teams, whether it's the team they faced on Sunday or other teams in the NFC. And because of that, there is doubt among the fan base, uh, reasonably so, that, like, is this sustainable? Can they keep winning like this? For sure. I think it, talking to Harrison Smith after the game, though, he, he made a good point. Like, you'd rather learn these lessons after wins than after mm-hmm. losses. Yeah. So that is kind of the glass half, half full way to look at this. I'm curious what you think about Kirk and, and just the way he's carried himself this year, mm-hmm. right? Like, Say what you want on the field. Like, yes, he can be super robotic. Um, he seemed robotic, like, as a human for, like, the past three years. <laughs> They're like Zimmer. Like, yeah. He seems more comfortable this year. Like, yeah. jokes in the locker room. Just even listening to him, he talked about the interception he, he threw today and talked about how that was a product of him using yeah. previous plays to try and make a, a, a in-the-moment decision. These are things you did not see of him in the past. He was always on the defensive. He was always talking about reads. Like, do you think that Kevin O'Connell has found or a way to kind of get through to him? Or do you think it really is just something like this coach believes in me and I feel comfortable in the system? Because everyone knew how the, the Cousins and Zimmer relationship kind of soured by the end of it. Yeah, no, I think that's super important that at least for this season, O'Connell's like, you're our guy. And that it's someone who he's worked with before. Granted, it was like part of a season in Washington or whatever, but um, when you have that endorsement and the coach, like Zimmer was so defensive, obviously reasonably so given he was a tenured coach who was having some issues last year. But, um, you know, I think um, it allows him to just be open. What he functionally said in that press conference was, I was not playing with a quieted mind when I threw that interception, right? I would assume he was when he started the game. Um, I'm assuming he has in crunch time, at least in the, the first few games here. But he's saying like, instead of just focusing on who's the open receiver and how do I advance the ball, he was starting to think I missed that guy in the flat before and I probably I should get feeling involved or whatever. And if this is the only time I'll advocate a check down, <laughs> I guess, but he should have just thrown it to ham, you know? I mean, like he, he was open. They, they, you know, he just needed to keep progressing the, the ball down the field. And I think for him to admit that, Hey, he has something he can go back to. He can go, yeah, I need. I just need to play with a quieted mind and throw to the guy who's open, like I was doing when I started the game. And I think then he knows, like, the the coach is not going to crack down on me. The only ask is play with a quieted mind, do what you do, go through your reads, beat Kirk Cousins. And to be honest, that's all a coach can really ask of a player. For sure. And and so far, like that's been enough. Like Kirk Cousins, thirty-two of forty-one today, 
296, a touchdown and an interception. Fine. Not great. Mm -hmm. Not amazing. I do want to ask, and then we'll kind of wrap this segment, push forward and talk about just, it wasn't just Kirk Cousins in the game. There were a lot more other things that went on. Th that 17 play drive though. I think they converted five different third downs. Yeah. They got it done with the sneak at the end um, from the, at the goal line. Biggest play though, to me and see if you agree third and five from the 20, nothing there. Kirk Cousins, first read, not there. Second read, not there. Scrambles, turns into Michael Vick, picks up five. Yeah. Um, thought that was a big play. I was curious what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, I think it's important to contrast that from the beginning of the, the game, right? I think they faced one third down on their first drive. Mm -hmm. And last year we'd see that where we'd see this exciting offense on the scripted plays. And yeah. then it just felt like as soon as you had to adjust the other team and you're, you're off the script and whatnot, um, we saw the faults in the offense, right? So you, it, it was the worst thing ever because you got the tease of what they could be and then you understood kind of what they were. And I think he had to do it so differently at the end here and he had to improvise. And I, you know, I feel like it was after the first game or something, Cousins out of nowhere, almost kind of like, you know, unprompted was like, yeah, I think I could run the ball more. <laughs> it's like, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, but I, this is what he was talking about that he was like, I think he went through his first two reads. He had said like, he could have looked back um, at the other side of the field and he had some weapons over there. And instead he felt pressure come across his face and he just went forward and it it's, sounds ridiculous, but it's like little things will make him better. One of them is just stepping up in the pocket and buying time. The other one is just improvising when you have to improvise. And and I don't expect cousins to do this often. I actually don't think it's smart in a not, you know, outside of like a game winning drive, a play like this because he could get injured. Also, it's just not a strength of his game, but for him to play out of character in some ways, that is what winning players do, right? They occasionally make a throw. They shouldn't. They run in a way they shouldn't. Um, they make something out of nothing. And this is, yeah, in in Kirk Cousins' way, making something out of nothing. For sure. Yeah. Um, not the prettiest Kirk Cousins game, but effective nonetheless. Kind of the story of the last three weeks. Uh, Vikings 4-1, and one, like we said. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more. Kind of just big picture on this and, and what this means for the Vikings. Uh, also a couple of big plays by big players um, that we'll get into as well. Hey, welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. I'm Dane Mizutani alongside Tom Shire. Uh, he's our guest today. Jace Frederick could not make it. But please make sure you are liking, subscribing, downloading, doing whatever you can on any podcast platform to get this right onto your phone, um, you know, we're going to break down this whole season. Um, maybe Tom will join us a couple more times too. Right now it, it, it's me and him. It's usually me and Jace Frederick. Um, but it, we're, we're enjoying talking about this season. It's been an up and down so far to this point. But they are 4-1. and one. And after the 29-22 victory over the Bears, um, the Vikings are atop the NFC North, kind of flying high. Tom, one play sticks out to me from this whole game. And I think it's it's probably going to be one that – that a lot of people are going to have some fun with because game's hanging in the balance. Vikings up 29-22. Looks like the Bears could make a push down the field. Amir Smith-Marset catches yes. the ball on the left sideline. Amir Smith-Marset, yeah. who Vikings fans will remember, was in training camp. The Vikings mm -hmm. begged him to be their starting punt returner, and he consistently muffed the ball in practice and in training camp and in preseason and got cut. Well, Fast forward week five, Amir Smith-Marset with the game on the line, catches the ball down the left sideline. <laughs> Cam Danzler makes a miss and then just gives Cam Danzler the ball. 
Uh, Cam Dantzler comes in, steals it right out of his hand, slides, game over. Oh, man. Uh, just talk about the palette of emotions on that play. While you were watching it, Tom, uh, we can talk more about Amir Smith-Marset in a little bit. But from a Cam Dantzler perspective, yeah, uh, you know how, how impressive was that to, to kind of stick with it? And uh, kind of what have been imp- your impressions of him so far to this point in the season, the ups and the downs? Yeah, you know, I think back to like that first camp with Dantzler and he wasn't even, I think Gladney was taking a while ahead of him and people came away going like, this guy's a stud, right? And people do this in camp, they overhype players. And I think it was like a blocked pass on Thielen, right? So there's some attention on it anyways. But first impressions can kind of stick with you. And I've always felt like he's, he has all these like physical tools. Like he's a really, really good tackler, which it's ironic that he got beat on the tackle here. But um, uh I, you know, I think the way he's built and stuff, I, I think he should be really good. And yet like his head kind of keeps getting in the way. And I don't know if that's an environment where um, Zimmer prioritized veterans and that it was really tense pretty much throughout the whole time that he was here. This wasn't like Xavier Rhodes or Harrison Smith who came in where there was, you know, kind of the honeymoon, I guess, of the, of the new coach and the turnover and stuff like that. And also a defensive coach at that. Um, so maybe a tough environment for a young player. And also I think just mentally he can kind of get in his own head. And I think mm-hmm. for him, to miss a tackle, which he's good at, to potentially kind of mess up a play at a key moment against a, a guy who was literally in camp with the Vikings. For him, at least he says he kind of recalls that he can be loose at the ball to have the wherewithal to go, I can make a game-winning play here. Um, in some ways, he earned that moment just because, like, to me, it's never the physical with him. It is the mental. And I think it's really fun that, like, he makes this play, has the heads up not to go screaming and try to, like, get in the end zone and score because he didn't need to. And in fact, could have messed it up further, right? He could have fumbled on his own or something. Mm -hmm. And then to have Patrick Peterson, who's like his boy, right? Who's his, you know, he's learning from drag him into the tunnel (laughs) to try to do the celebration. There was something just fitting about kind of how that, that ended. So yeah, kind of a fun moment for a dancer himself and um, maybe cathartic after a game that the Vikings could have blown that, that sealed it. We knew in that moment as he slid on the field, Biden's going to win. They're going to move on to the next week. Yeah, it was fun in the locker room listening to just different people talk about that play. I think Harrison Phillips, the defensive tackle, said, coolest play he's ever seen. Patrick Peterson talked a lot about, like you said, the you know he's really taken Cam Dancer under his wing. So yeah. Fun to watch him kind of talk a little bit about that moment of pulling him into the tunnel, but also just like the growth that he's seen in him week to week. Uh, Harrison Smith talked about how, like, that's a coached thing. Like, yeah, the aggressive angles. Like, if you're behind a guy, you can go for the ball. You can you can ball hawk there. Um, it, it doesn't always have to be a tackle. Um, it was interesting to hear Harrison Smith talk about how once he saw Amir Smith Marset stiff arm can't dancer to the ground, and he realized that that Smith Marset was going to turn up field and wasn't going to go out of bounds. Mm-hmm. That he decided to kind of slow play it and say, "Let me let let's let Cam Dancer catch up here because because I think something could happen." Sure enough, a few seconds later, he has the ball in his hands, and, and the Vikings are going to win. Another play that I think will go unnoticed, or like because Cam Danzer made such a spectacular play to win the game, essentially that wins the Vikings the game. Mm-hmm. He also had another play earlier in in the game. Fields, I think it was a fifty-four yard yeah. touchdown run. He looked like Michael Vick on the play. Seriously, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Run up the left side, cuts back up in the end zone. On that play, poor Amir Smith-Marset gets called for blocking in the back. Um, touchdown gets called back. We talked to Cam Danzler after the game. He said, yeah, I was a little dramatic with it. I might have flopped. 
but it was another smart play. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it's things like that, little things like that, it's just making a play. He, he doesn't practice flopping. Yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was in the moment and he, he stepped up and he realized I'm not going to make this tackle, but I could probably make it look like Amir Smith-Marset hit me in the back. And, and sure enough, that proves to be, a, you know, another difference maker play. Yeah, I mean, it's an illegal move, right? So in some ways, like, he's just highlighting that, that Amir Smith-Marset did something you're not allowed to do. I guess in a football game, at the same time, it was a little dramatic. It felt a little like a flop in hockey or soccer or, you know, a guy guy takes a charge, right? And you're like, well, I don't think he should have hit the floor that hard off of that or something. So it's, it's, it's a fun play. It's a way to emphasize, like, look what happened. I guess it's a defensive play. I guess we can give him that. Um, we can go back to should that – we got to that point that that play mattered. Should the defense break down like that? I mean, Peterson talked about in the locker room, like it is a little hard to account for. Like you got all these receivers. And then on top of that, you're like, oh, the quarterback can like take off and go, but we see more dual threat guys like that. The defense has to account for that. So the preference there is of course, like either just don't let him run or don't let him run that far. Mm -hmm. Having said that, we see how explosive he was. It's a, it's a bit like in your mind, you have to go like, yeah, he can do that. You know what I mean? He's so fast that I don't expect a quarterback to like just run up the middle of a defense or whatever. But I guess literally when push comes to shove, yeah. maybe make a push look like a shove. And and that's what he did. And and I guess it saved the Vikings on that play. Yeah. How bad do you feel for Amir smith Marset? I mean, that, I, I guess, can't be any worse than that. No, it's I, I honestly do. I was thinking that when we were talking about him, like that was a surprise cut. You know, if you think back in that moment, that was a bit of like, wait, what are they doing? And, you know, I think after talking to Matt Daniels, we knew what was happening. He was like, give me someone dynamic, right? And we love that it's J- Jalen Rager, <laughs> or at least Matt Daniels loves that it's Jalen Rager. But yeah. I think, you know, I think the interesting thing with smith Marset, and I guess why Chicago went and picked him up was that people who watched him in college, I kind of, you know, suggested like, give this guy a little time and he could be like a weapon weapon, you know, an offensive weapon. And, um, you know, you have to have all the fundamentals down. Like you have to catch the football that's hurling towards you. Otherwise you're going to turn it over. Um, but we could see glimpses of him being an explosive player. So it just, it, it sucks for a guy who like gets cut in camp. I'm sure trying to just like make the team, you know, as a special team or whatever, gets an opportunity for revenge and is involved in two really key plays here. Um Having said that, you can't shove a guy in the back and you got to protect the ball. So, so that's kind of how it goes sometimes. Yeah, it is. Uh, you just feel horrible, though, because yeah, like, yeah, yeah. as hilarious as it is, like it's objectively hilarious that like a yeah. player on the Vikings made such a big impact for the Vikings. Yeah, um, inside job, yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> it, like, at the end of the day also, like that's a, that's a dude, like you said, just – He's just trying to make the team and uh, literally just cost the Bears, you know, certainly a chance at a win and maybe a win at, you know, as a whole. Tom, you, you mentioned obviously the, the defensive breakdowns at times, mm-hmm. how they let Fields get away. He, that run, that touchdown run got called back, but he, he broke contain a lot today. That's yeah. what he's going to do. Um, what did you think of the defense? Um, another example today of, of bending, not breaking, um, 22 points. They'll take it, I guess. Um, Justin Fields had probably his most effective day of the season as far as just like moving the ball. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the Vikings defense probably walks away a little bit encouraged with how they performed. Uh, 
I guess, what, what do you think about how, to this point, the Vikings defense has been a weakness. Um, it was a weakness at times today, um, but, but they did get the job done when they needed to. What are your main takeaways, you know, from the defensive side of the ball? Thinking about it holistically, like they have been bend, don't break. Um, we assume with things that bend and don't break, eventually they, they break. You know, I think of like the Vikings as a whole last year where they seem to hang on, hang on until the Green Bay game and it kind of all fell apart or whatever. Right. Um, the way I see the defense now, though, so they've given up. They obviously gave up seven against Green Bay. However, Watson catches that ball. That's probably 14. And I'd argue, I was really surprised the floor in that game took it out of Rodgers' hands. And like, you're like, if they don't hold on a fourth and one, that could have been 21. Um, you know, they give up 24 all in the first half to Philadelphia, 24 uh, to Detroit, 25 New Orleans, 22 in this game. I mean, if it does seem like the Donatel system, hey, it was pretty bold to be like, we're going to have all the same guys pretty much. We're going to put them in an entirely different defense. And that doing that while the identity of the team in general changes from a defensive one to an offensive one. Um Having said that, like if this if this is by design in some ways, where it's like you this the raw stats look bad, but like the scoring stats are fine, I suppose it's sustainable. The claim I'd make is this offense hasn't broken thirty yet. Like we have, they haven't gone into the next gear. I think everyone on that team understands. Like at some point they should probably blow people out. At some point you should score at least thirty points. It does feel like they're just there's a there's a place they haven't gotten to, and we, I think we have to think of it as like this isn't the Zimmer team where like the defense kind of wins it for you that you kind of just grind out with small margins. The offense should create margins, right? And the defense probably should just hold teams to around that like mid twenties and it works. Having said that, I wouldn't be incredibly surprised if a really good offense figures out how to break through this. And that's, that's the main concern. What happens against Buffalo uh, improved Dallas team, something like that. Yeah. It goes back to kind of the thing with, it's not going to work all year. Same with the defense. It's not going to work all year. It's not going to work against these superior teams in the NFL. The good news for the Vikings, they don't have a lot of superior teams on their schedule this year. Um, you look at the schedule, and, and we'll get more into this kind of after the break. It sets up really nicely for the Vikings. They're mm -hmm. one right now. Um, and I would argue they've gotten a couple of their, you know, a few of their hardest games you know, on the schedule out of the way obviously Buffalo looming. Um, when we come back, we'll look more into kind of the, you know, the overall depth of the schedule, what, what to expect, what are realistic expectations of this team um, now that they are 4-1 and, and, and moving forward into the rest of the season. All right, welcome back to Inside Purple and Gold. I'm Dane Mizutani. If you're listening and you've gotten to this point, you know that Tom Shire on the other end, not Dave Frederick. Uh, please like, subscribe, download, whatever it takes on any podcast platform just to make sure that this episode and all our future episodes are going right to your phone. Um, really enjoying talking about this season. They've given us a heck of a lot to talk about. Um, not sure this team's good, but not sure they're not. Um, we'll get more into this in a little bit. I just think we're in minute like 27 of this podcast and we haven't mentioned Justin Jefferson once yet, which is a yep. little bit surprising. He's always the guy we're talking about. We got 12 for 154 today. Eventually, he's going to break that Sammy White record, uh, mm -hmm. 10. It looked like he was on pace to do that single-game single, single game receiving record. It is Sammy White's at 210. Justin Jefferson will break that one day. It looked yeah. like he was going to today. Um, Bears kind of figured out that, like, maybe we should not just single up him on the outside, not yeah. give him three releases. 
Um, another spectacular game for him, though. Um, just there's not enough superlatives in the world to like, talk about how good of a player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, start here. Like he got robbed of a touchdown. <laughs> I mean, I guess he has to get across the plane, but it's it it was like it's so weird to go through the whole routine and the gritty, and then you're like the ref's like, hold on a second, <laughs> you know, and and um, but yeah, I mean, even even the play like on the on the two point conversion, like this is. Um, I think Cousins talked about this earlier, but like he has this second effort, right? As much as he like just blows away defenses and he's hyper fast and gets wide open, he also like will just plow through defenders as a guy who's like pretty lanky and not, you know, this isn't like a fullback right, or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything about him is impressive. I think I'd go as far as we talk, you know, about Cousins in that first segment and looking at his stats and whatnot. To me, it's like, I actually kind of don't care what Cousins like. It doesn't need to be spectacular on Hayter's end as long as it's spectacular on Justin Jefferson's, right? Because we know ultimately Justin Jefferson doesn't start with the ball, or at least usually doesn't. And in this case, they did what they needed to do early. Defenses will adjust. You talk about like getting the 210 yards, he's going to have but two half the gap. But um, this situation to see again so long as kind of Cousins holds up his end. Um, because of the weapon, the other weapons, right? I mean, actually, like Irv Smith had a pretty good game in this one. KJ Osborne, um, in some key moments, came out with receptions. Obviously, we know how good Thielen can be. Um, Dalvin Cook had a pretty good game on the ground. So, um, as much as we go, yeah, defense is like, I'm sure people looked at the Packers tape and were like, wait, why didn't they focus on Justin Jefferson more? And they'll look at the uh, tape from this game and go, what was Chicago thinking in the first half or whatever? But to be fair, if you focus on him too much, there's other ways to be used. But this is why I'm convinced he can continue to be great. It's not just him and his ability to get open and, and how athletically superior he is to a lot of the players he played against. But, like, I can put him in a situation to succeed. Again, as long as Cousins does his job, as long as the illusion complexity works, um, and as long as, like, there's health around him, obviously his own health, but also Osborne's good all season, Thielen's good all season, you know, or Smith, I'm down. So, um yeah, I think we're starting to see a glimpse. Like he's obviously great right now, but of of just this next level that if they start putting things together, it's not only could they win and win by a margin, but Justin Jefferson can do things we haven't seen before since kind of like the Randy Moss days. Yeah, that's kind of where I wanted to go. Like you mentioned Randy Moss. He was the best receiver in the league. In yeah. Front, no question. Uh, Justin Jefferson said at the beginning of this season he wants to be the best receiver in the league. Then he went out and hung like 180 on on Green Bay, and you're like, wow, he might go for 2,000 this year. And then week two, week three, kind of gets shut down. Now we've seen week three, you know, week four, week five, he's kind of risen back to the top. Where does he rank in the pantheon of receivers to you? Can he be the best? Is he the best? Um, I don't know if we can quite make that claim yet, but like. How high is too high and, and how high can he go? I mean, it's so hard for me because obviously it's between him and Moss. And I think it's fun that he doesn't like shy away from that, right? He's worn Randy Moss shirts. The only positive to come out of that Monday night football game in Chicago, because that was that game could turn people off from football like as an entity. It was so bad. But seeing him in the jersey, right? And Randy Moss, who's calling the game, it, it tells him he's going to the Pro Bowl or whatever. I like that Justin Jefferson hasn't shied away from, I guess, a challenge, if you want to call it that. Um, with Randy Moss, I don't know if anyone like Randy Moss is just such like a unique athlete period, right? He's a super freak. Having said that, like why I think Justin Jefferson could be more successful is because it seems like the organization is less dysfunctional. Like we talk about all these like infamous dysfunction, right? It unfortunately happened 
when they had this transcendent receiver who should have lifted the team to new heights and instead kind of they got stuck in the mud and he had the weird Oakland years and then obviously goes on to be a great player with New England. So um, I think it does seem like you have O'Connell, who's the McVeigh guy, at least in the immediate term, you have Cousins, who is more competent than a lot of the quarterbacks that Randy Moss played with. Um, you have these other receivers because we know that like Moss benefited from Chris Carter and Jake Reed, right? Um, and and you you know similarly Justin Jefferson has um, uh, talent around him, and then the league is just so enabling to a player like that. Like they, the league does not want like these games we've seen on Thursday night or whatever, or like going back to that Monday night gaming in Chicago. They know that'll turn people off. They want to see you know games won in the 30s probably, and so. Justin Jefferson has all these advantages that I think Moss didn't. And so even if he's not the superior athlete, he may end up having superior stats. And we may remember him as a challenger, if not a better receiver, because he's allowed to surpass him because of the environment he's in. Yeah, that's a fair point. You know, I think you kind of touched on in the beginning, though, like no one will beat Randy Moss. Like yeah. he's so much more. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, he's pretty untouchable just because of you know, the physical specimen that he was. You mentioned all the dysfunction, wasn't always great quarterback play around him, and he, and he, he succeeded in spite of that. Um, but like you said, this this is a pass-happy league now conducive to receivers putting up gaudier stats. So Justin Jefferson's ahead of Randy Moss now, I guess on the <laughs> line, which yeah. is crazy. Um, but a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of time to go and, you know, a lot of more production that he needs to have um, to be kind of considered in that in that conversation. Let's get back to the game. A um, couple more superlatives, and we'll jump into kind of the the you know remainder of the schedule. We're past the quarter pole, which is kind of mm-hmm. great already. Um, we'd kind of be remiss if we didn't mention Dalvin Cook, 18 carries, 94 yards, two touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Actually, had two catches for 27 yards. One of those was a pass from Justin Jefferson. So. Yeah. You know, I think uh, Justin just Jefferson said after the game, wish Dalvin would have gotten in the end zone so he could have a passing touchdown. Um, he didn't, um, but Dalvin Cook was also very, very good today. Um, yeah. As good of a game as he's played. Yeah, I mean, I think he maybe gets lost in the shuffle because he's not a receiving player, or at least he's not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think the interesting thing is how he was managed in this game. Like, he he's had these shoulder issues, and I kind of wondered what would happen um, – coming off potentially a scare or just also a game where like at some point there was kind of this comeback and it, you know, it didn't feel like um, had they gone up bigger, right. And had a more, a larger margin of victory, they may have leaned on Dalvin cook more, right. To just run out the clock. So mm-hmm. the, the fact that he's just, he's been involved in a modern offense um, that they're not afraid to go to Alexander Madison. He, he just feels like he's used so much differently. Like Zimmer just trusted him because he wanted to manage the clock. And he liked to run the ball and, and probably benefited his defense. You know, like I think I, I like how he's been used as a modern player. He's spread out wide, but they're not pretending he's a receiver. He, they're involving him in trick plays, which I think I, those guys get really excited about it. You know what I mean? Like as much as we saw a check down on a flea picker, which holy crap how does that happen <laughs> like you know you saw Justin Jefferson throw him the ball right and I think um they've just managed a really skilled running back in a modern offense really well and it shows up in his numbers that he's still an impact player he, he nearly had 100 yards just rushing uh in this play in this game 
Yeah, and you, like you said, like in the modern day NFL, like you see running backs fall off a cliff because of the overusage. So to see Alexander Madison mix in as much as he did today, I think that bodes well for Dalvin Cook moving forward. Um, all right, let's close the show with this. Tom, I'm going to list every game on the schedule. You tell me win or loss, and you will be the determining factor. You will be the person when we get to the end of this exercise to determine how good the Vikings will be. They are 4-1 and one right now. They play the Dolphins next week. Probably with Teddy, definitely, I think, without Tua. I don't think I, I don't see that guy playing anytime soon, um, especially with the criticism they've received out of that. Vikings at Dolphins next week, win or loss. This is probably the toughest one to call of at least the immediate ones here. Um, I think they win because they should beat a backup quarterback. I think people love Teddy Bridgewater here. I think they love the story of him going home. Um, it feels like a team like the Dolphins that mismanaged the tour situation so bad is using their backup quarterback, even though that's a game on the road. I do think the Vikings can can sneak that one out. Okay. So you heard it here first, five and one starting next week. After that, you, you play the car the Vikings host the Cardinals, win or loss. I think they win. I, I'd insist this is a pretty easy spot in their schedule that's coming off a bye. I'm not a huge believer in Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray. Um, I understand why people would see that as a tough game, but that is a game um, here. It's a game they should have won last year. The other thing is you could pretty much use that game as a blueprint um, for this year because that was the rare situation where they actually looked like a modern team last year, and that's unfortunately they lost because then they went back to being a 90s team. But I think this team should beat them probably using a pretty similar blueprint as last year. All right. It's looking up six and one. You heard it here first. Uh, then they, then the Vikings go to Washington, play the commanders. Do I hear seven and one? I do. And, and again, like I said, if you, um, they're going to play with fire, if they keep playing like they did against Chicago, however, if they improve and they start creating margins, like you should look at these next three games and look at wins I, you know, <laughs> Carson Wentz and like just the dysfunction that is the commanders in my mind, that's borderline like trap game. And I understand it's on the road, but they should go there to their weird field with the real weird grass and, and beat up on the commanders. No, you're right. Like it's important to note as we do this exercise, like happen the NFL, but it's hard to account for those. So all, all, all Tom can do is think about the optimum performance from both teams and who's better. All right. Yeah. So they're seven and one. They, they, they go to the Buffalo Bills on, on November 13th. I'm going to go ahead and answer for you. That's a loss. They, they, yeah. they, they dropped the seven. Yeah, and I, but I do think it's important you go into that seven and one. You know, I, th- I think it's, it's you allow yourself to then lose in Buffalo. Right? We, I mean, the score today was insane. They beat the Steelers. It's probably going to be a tough loss for people to see, given it's Stephon Diggs and whatnot. But um, you can afford to lose that one if you take care of the games you're supposed to win. Sure. I do think. And then just get, you know, if they went to floor with you, you can't really feel, be feeling that good about where you're at, despite being seven and two. Um, the Cowboys, they host the Cowboys four days before Thanksgiving. Yeah, I mean, I see that as I see that as a loss. I'm assuming that's Dak Prescott's back. Um, it's more winnable, I guess, than the Buffalo game. But if Cooper Rush beat you last year, and given that like they're they're an explosive team, I think that's going to be really tough, especially coming off what, what I assume will be an emotional loss to Buffalo. Sure. We're at seven and three right now. What do they do with that one? It's here. Yeah, I mean, 
sounds weird. It, I, it almost doesn't seem right coming out of my mouth. You should win it, right? I mean, it, I, I don't think New England's that good. Now, um, I think this is an early coaching test. Every game is. But what I worry a little bit is, like, you saw how much McVay loved Belichick in the Super Bowl, right? And it was almost like he kind of admired him and didn't push him. And you got to imagine O'Connell thinks highly of him, right? And that's a game, like, don't get out coached, <laughs> And that's really tough because of – um, who the guy is on the other side. But I think if O'Connell coaches like it's just a random guy coaching New England, they should win that game. I don't think the Patriots are that good. I don't think they're that good either. Um, I actually don't know that I trust whoever plays quarterback for them, um, whether mm-hmm. it is Mac Jones or Zappy. Um, so we'll, we'll, I think I'm on the same page as you there. After the Patriots on Thanksgiving, you have a longer week. And then you, then you come back and you host the Jets. Jets are plucky this year, but that should be a win too, right? Yeah, you can't lose that game. Yeah, they have to win that game. All right. Then you go to Ford Field. I think right now we have them at okay, five, six, seven, seven, three, eight, nine, and three. Nine and three heading into Detroit. Um, Do they win that game? I mean, they should. I know they lost it last year. I know it was there. I remember of all people was Cameron Dantzler with a mistake there. But um, that, I think, was a Zimmer-era tension loss, right? It was, mm-hmm. it was don't make a mistake, and that allows Jared Goff to beat you. Um, I think Detroit's improved. Um, I think their trajectory is really interesting. Having said that, I don't think we can look at what happened last year and – let it determine what we think this year, because this is like a culture change regime change. Like this is how you pick up wins against them. Having said that, if you only lead that game for 45 seconds, probably lose it. So they better be improved by that. All right. We'll uh, we'll wrap quick with the last month of the season. Um, Just rapid fire Colts. Vikings host Colts. Yeah, they should win it. (laughs) Vikings host Giants. I would have said it was for sure. I think this is one where we'll learn what, where both teams are. I think the Giants will regress. I think the Vikings have to progress to being better than the Giants. So I do think that's a win. All right. At Green Bay. Loss, different kind of loss. I mean, it's not – Sean Mannion cannot start that game. So, like, literally. So um, I don't think it'll be the disaster it was before. I also think – and I think most people get this. This is not going to be the same Green Bay team they played in the beginning of the season. So um, – yeah, I definitely see Green Bay picking up. And there, there you have to be in position where uh, that game can't decide the division, basically. And then if you close out Chicago, you should win that game. Win that game and don't make it like the Chicago game from last year because no, like I can't physically watch it. And I'm not actually exaggerating. It can't be like that Monday night game. So, yeah, finish on a high note. Go blast Chicago and Chicago. Go into the playoffs with a little momentum. All right. Anyone who's made it to this part of the podcast, um, we have the Vikings at 13-4. and four. So that'd be incredible. Here's the thing, like you know, and and it's because of games like this. You know that we were talking about games they should win, right? Right. They'll drop. They'll drop three. They should if they yeah. play like this. So that's how you get into that kind of, you know, that's how that number, um, you know, goes back to the nine and seven range. So um, to get, it's not going to be thirteen, but to get close to do eleven, twelve, they have to win by margins. If they yeah. keep winning this way, they're going to be like. You know, yeah, ten and seven, something like that. I think all this exercise was done to prove is just how soft the schedule is. It's um, incredibly, yeah. This, this should be an eleven win team. Yeah, like the, the the schedule it, it sets up. Even the hard game against da- the, the Miami Dolphins next week is is 
presumably a heck of a lot easier now with the backup quarterback, you know, steering the ship for the Dolphins. So the schedule sets up really nice. The, the Vikings are four and one right now. They did just potlush off a 29-22 victory. Doesn't look great. Um, but as we talked about, doesn't really matter. Um, they are four and one heading into week six here. Uh, Tom, any parting thoughts uh, just on the team as a whole? Thanks I again. Did not, I did not, I'm not claiming they're a 13 win team. I just, I just want to be clear on that. Um, having said that, I think what we've learned here is this team we currently saw, it's a 10 win team. The difference between that and being a team that you can be excited about in the 11 12 win is that get that margin up. I know, I know we focused on the defense a little bit. You got to start beating bad teams by higher margins that allow you to lose to good teams, I guess, essentially, and not have it be a season wrecker and allow you to go into the playoffs with potentially 11, 12 points. All right. Well, I, I, I'm with you. It's not a 13-win team, but if they do finish that way, you heard it first on October 9th after a clunky <laughs> victory over the Bears. Um, Tom, thanks so much for joining us. If you guys enjoyed this, please like, subscribe, download. Um, whatever you got to, uh, you know, your, your phone or whatever you listen to your podcast. We come out every, you know, every week, the pre, pre-game, you know, post-game, and then, and then one episode midweek. So we're here for it all. Thanks again, Tom, for joining us. Uh, for Dane Mizutani, Tom Shire, this has been Inside Purple and Gold. We're out. Twenty Four Hundred Sports is an Odyssey company.